welcome to this episode of Turkish TV Time. Today we're going to be talking about episode three of Midnight at Para Palace, where I feel like the plot thickened a little bit and the interpersonal dramatics thickened a lot. So <laughs> I, uh, anybody drinking tea? No. Negative. I'm drinking, I bought some like really fancy root beer and it's delicious. That's what <laughs> from, was it, is it from like a local establishment? Like a, it's like a root beer specialty? It's from Maine. Or, <laughs> you know, the root but beer state. Bougie. <laughs> oh, that is bougie. It's very bougie. <laughs> I still think I like if you taste like toothpaste. I can't. <laughs> it's definitely a unique flavor. Yeah. Very unique. And usually too sweet, but stuff it's like good. the it's it's funny that it tastes like toothpaste because it's like quite literally the opposite of toothpaste in terms of <laughs> its relationship to your teeth. <laughs> They're trying to trick you into thinking it's healthy. <laughs> okay, so. Now I'm going to take us through what happened in this episode. Feel free to correct me if I get something wrong. There was a lot of skipping around. And a lot of dates. Too many dates to remember. Yeah, that's that's where I, I forgot that, that that was very confusing for me on this show. And this episode reminded me of like how it does not get any less confusing later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we see the 18th of April, 1919 quotation marks night of the ball Mm -hmm. and someone is telling Peridae about um, a plan and she vows to stop it so we're gonna assume that's the plan to assassinate Mustafa Kemal and then she goes to sit down with him and then but that's Peridae right we think right that's actually Peridae yeah and that's the day I think that's the day that also Esra arrived in the past like that's the date of her arrival Okay. The 18th of April, yeah. Okay, and then we see the 21st of April, and Esra is coming back to the hotel after being at her mansion, finds Ahmed knocked out, but he's fine, and the diary's been stolen. Well, she does a great job of wrapping up his head, don't forget that, like, she's <laughs> nurse extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna add that to the what's books right now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then we see Halit Bey going into a super sketchy, dingy office and then revealing the secret door behind the bookcase where somebody is tied up, but we don't see who it is. Then we find out, okay, so we find out from Ahmed, who's been reading the diary, that Peride found her own body in 1916, which was Ahmed's (laughs) fuck up. Then she started digging because she thought that was pretty curious and <laughs> found the key on the body also, which was really stupid. About oh, God. Yeah. And then found out about a guy, Dimitri, who worked on the construction of the hotel. So that's a lot. Um, and then, oh, we also, they think... Ahmet and Esra together think that Peride probably had a plan the night that she was killed and that her plan was probably to travel in the to the future to figure out who the killer was and then travel back to this time to prevent the assassination. 
so the problem that they're facing right now is that the key is missing and Esra has the brilliant idea, oh, maybe it was in my pocket and now it's <laughs> at my mansion. Uh, she also appoints Ahmed as her like surrogate at the hotel. So I guess she, because her uncle owns the hotel, now he's back in his position as manager of the hotel, kind of, and investigating who bashed him over the head. Then ugh, Esra goes back to her house and sneaks in thinks she's done a brilliant job of sneaking in but unfortunately because of her sister who is a snitch um she gets caught by the dad and he is like yelling at her and she stands up to him and it's amazing she's like look there's so many women in this room and one man yelling at me like why are we not banded together against this asshole and it was great uh, but nobody bands together, and she's disowned, so didn't turn that <laughs> And then we have a heartbreaking scene, not really, but kind of funny, that her daughter wants to come with her, and she's like, nah, sorry, bye. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly so how it would have played out if it was me. Yeah, yeah. and she's, she's like, I'm never going to see you again. Kate, thanks, bye. Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> And her her daughter daughter quote unquote was like oh but Estra in the story would have like taken care of her grandma because she was a mother to her grandmother and then she's like yeah no, okay, bye. <laughs> amazing um, okay so then while she's leaving the house she runs into Rashad Bay who mm-hmm. I still like don't really recognize his face, so I'm finding it very confusing because I feel like he has that ridiculous mustache. I guess yeah. there's a lot of ridiculous mustaches, but his is like especially pointy. Yeah. <laughs> um and he offers to drive her into town, but instead he takes her to a romantic view and <laughs> proposes to her. <laughs> and all she can think to do is laugh and say, It's not you, it's me. But I doubt that he took that very well. Then, um, oh, and also while she was at home, Esra found a note in the pocket of her green dress and Ahmed reads it and it says, Halit and British dude are going to assassinate Mustafa Kemal and come talk to me about it. And it's signed Fahretin and come talk to me at the garden bar. So we don't know yet, but we do learn soon that that is the guy that Halid has in his dungeon basement office thing. Um, and oh, okay. So Esra goes to the garden bar to try and meet with Faretin, and Halid Bey intercepts her because he's always there asking very pointed questions. And she's not very subtle. She's like, oh, I was looking for Farretin. <laughs> and he's like, uh. And then she's like, no, no, I'm auditioning to sing. And <laughs> he's like, what? And then she tells him the whole soft story about getting disowned, how she doesn't want to work at Para Palace because she wants to earn her own way. And he tries to hire a different singer, but then Estra double doggy dares him and <laughs> like hires that singer to work at Fair Palace so she can work at the garden bar and it's basically my favorite part of this show slash any show ever is <laughs> what she does on stage it's, it's incredible phenomenal it's we'll phenomenal. talk about it later <laughs> um 
and everyone loves her and Halid's like yeah okay fine you're hired and he gets her a lovely apartment uh above a brothel and her roommate is Sonia is that right yeah yeah that's okay. right that's the right name okay so then Ahmed does some sleuthing he finds the diary in Fahratin's room at Parrot Palace Hotel also learns that he's been missing for three days um and he learns something he never knew about the hotel which is kind of weird that there's a place you can go where you can go anywhere you want in time it's not random you can actually choose so seems like he should have figured that out a long time ago anyway he needs to find dimitri in order to use it i guess and i don't think he knows where it is yeah yeah so that's a problem uh but also means that potentially paraday could pop out Mm-hmm. during this period if she had time traveled previously time is a flat circle i don't know um then we learn that fahri slash fahretin slash fahri slash german fahri is a regular at the garden bar and he loves the germans which is a very sketchy character trait <laughs> so that's not a good sign for him um esra does britney talk about that later it's great and finds the dungeon, finds Fahretin, um, says that he says that George, who is, I'm assuming is one of the British officers, has plan, has the plan. George is like the guy, like the main British guy we've seen this whole okay. time. Who's okay. he's like not the highest rankings, but he's, you know, I don't know, some kind of I don't know, I don't know anything about ranks, but he's not the highest ranking for sure, but he's the sketchiest. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, I think they said that he like doesn't care about anything. He just cares about his own yeah. ambitions or something yeah. like right. that. Right, 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 right. Um, and he also says to tell Osman, who is Halit Bey's older brother, about w- what's going on in order to stop it. But before Esra can free him from the manacles. Uh, Holly Bay shoots him in the head. So goodbye, Fahretin. And we're left with uh, quite a cliffhanger. I thought this episode was great. on into our gossip slash banter slash spilling the non-existent tea section what would you guys like to talk about i want to hear what like y'all are thinking about hadith now after like that last scene like the cliffhanger like hot or cold like villain or hero the hell's going on i think he's definitely a villain and he's probably after a lot of things but I'm also confused because the diary was found in Fahdetin's room. So I don't know if he just has someone like very carefully plant all the different strings in different places or if he's actually you know doing all of it himself which I don't think but I feel like he has a conspiracy underhand. See I think kind of the opposite Sophia. I well first of all Maybe I'm biased, but learning that Fahretin's main character trait is that he's super into the Germans right after World War One <laughs> makes me think that he's probably a bad guy posing as a good guy. 
and then Halit is probably a good guy because he killed him. But they haven't really given us much to go on on the Halit is good train mm -hmm. so far. I think the most like the thing for me, like if I didn't know like fully, uh, if I was watching for the first time, I should say and I didn't know like how this was gonna play out. I think the thing that would make me lean toward Halit being a villain at this moment more so than like a double agent or triple agent or whatever the hell he would be <laughs> if he was a spy um, would be that like I think the, I think George was with him at one point during the interrogation of Fadits and so it's like uh, is he like at his command like holding this guy hostage and and interrogating him and torturing him or whatever um, like I, I guess it's hard to see how if he was a pro Ataturk or pro Mustafa Kemal, like Turkish nationalist insurgent, mm -hmm. versus like on the side of the British, because the British are like again, obviously very much against like German interests. I mean, Germany's lost the war, um, but then so so would like any kind of a Turkish like self determination movement because they would be against any foreign power. So it's it's hard to it's hard to pin him, which I think is very cleverly done at this point because you like. And I don't remember at what point it becomes clear what's going on with him, but um, they they do a good job of confusing us with Hadith. <laughs> We're confused right along with Esra, basically. Yeah, because he's been super nice to Esra, who by Paraday, by all accounts, was kind of an ass. So yeah. the fact that he's like actually hired her after she messed with his business yeah. <laughs> found her a nice place to stay. Yeah, I don't know. Shooting a guy in the head isn't the best move, though. That's not the uh, typically yeah. not a hero move. You're right. <laughs> Unless like we can see without a shadow of a doubt in the future that this Fahrenheit was like a, a very bad character, like really needed to, or like maybe he was the assassin or something, um, maybe, or planning to be like something like that would be the only redeeming <laughs> quality there. Right. Except he also killed him when he was about to reveal like some important information it seemed mm -hmm. that could possibly like incriminate him in some way or derail his plan yeah shall we talk about the performances yes <laughs> i think it's the best part of the whole series for sure like it's, it's so amazing. great <laughs> and the i don't know did they translate the lyrics for Seniata or did no they, they didn't Oh, uh, uh, it's like a very. I mean, if you watch the music video, it's like very like not what not like like it's it's like a very. I don't know how to say it. It's flirty, but in kind of a vulgar way. Like it's basically like a, a new hot guy moves to the neighborhood, and it's like, hey, we're all gonna we're gonna eat you up. Like you, all the ladies are like, we're gonna eat you up. So it's like very not like in the even in a bar like the garden bar and it's like got a lot of like modern day or like I guess it's I think the song that song came out in the mid 90s i think it was on an album that came out in 96 so like okay more like mid 90s slang but still slang that's used but like i don't think it existed <laughs> in 1919 so anyway very very funny to think like that language being used um with that and that imagery <laughs> on on stage it's like who is this and she's allegedly american too which was the other funny part of her yeah. stage persona <laughs> Well, also yeah, we learned from Kaloop that like um, 
people weren't performing like Turkish language music right in the clubs right yeah exactly, until, exactly. like way way later so mm-hmm. good it crossover was- knowledge from other Netflix Turkish series Sammy thank you <laughs> <laughs> and the song is a uh, song by Sezen Aksu in case we didn't say that and then the second song is by Britney Spears. <laughs> no, unknown, relatively unknown American artist, uh, Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about the lyrics of the song as they performed it, like whether it was like risk too risque for that time or not. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, but it wasn't because it's like, it's like, oh, you thought you that I loved you, but I didn't. Like, I'm just playing with you, but like, it's. Yeah like a teasing song it's not that explicit I feel like yeah that's true I guess it's for me it's like the and like Hajit said this too like you like a a Muslim Turkish woman cannot like even be seen in a venue like that much less on stage so literally anything that came out of her mouth would be considered inappropriate at the time (laughs) (laughs) but anything like mildly suggestive um even more so but I mean the 20s which is where they're about to be is like an insanely depraved time so you know a lot of double standards about people being permitted proper but then also like bathtub bathtub gin and (laughs) and uh crazy behavior by all accounts at least in the u.s (laughs) oh that's what i i was thinking about that because like when halit walks down and there's all this booze like i in my head I was like thinking like oh maybe it was a prohibition but then I remembered like no we're not in the states so it's not yes yeah but were there like alcohol restrictions in Ottoman times no right I don't know I'm not sure and like this is now no longer Ottoman rule of law like it's because Istanbul was divided up into districts so it would have been like whatever rules the British set which I'm sure were like none (laughs) so other None than like the- we're in charge <laughs> what i said that i mean they probably didn't have any rules for british people but they probably did have rules for probably no, well then no, no, i mean like no rules for like limits on what you can drink or yeah. eat or whatever yeah i feel like the trope of somebody going back in time and knowing like some useful knowledge and using it from the future that nobody else knows everybody thinks mm-hmm. it's like their original thing Mm-hmm. is like a pretty common trope but yeah. I just thought this was so funny and so great I loved it I think there's a whole there's like a movie with the Beatles right where the guy wakes up in an alternate universe where the Beatles never existed oh yesterday yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah by Danny Boyle yeah 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 then he becomes like a pop superstar <laughs> I wonder what would like if the news reported the song and then like well I mean Britney Spears probably wasn't reading like 1920s Istanbul papers but <laughs> maybe that's where the lyrics came from <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not we're not read into how those two performances impacted Turkish and American pop music in the 90s <laughs> uh I've just read a little bit on um, alcohol in the Ottoman Empire. So obviously Islamic law forbids alcohol. Um, And so there weren't even alcohol taxes in the early years of the Ottoman Empire. But then as the empire grew and acquired more non-Muslim populations, they were obviously not 
barred by their religions as long as they were non-Muslim um, from having alcohol. So then the empire decided to start taxing it for those populations. Uh, the Muslims were not supposed to, although I don't really know how you would have fully <laughs> enforced that with such a mixed population. Um, and then in 1926, so like uh, three years after the Republic was formed, did they finally get around to like getting rid of the ban on alcohol for Muslims um, in, within Turkey? Uh, so it was not legal at any point for Muslims during the Ottoman Empire. But again, I feel like it must have been a free for all if you know I other feel people like were if allowed you were to have it. Rich and partying and yeah, those it was. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess mostly question for Sophia because Eski can't answer, but like, I really <laughs> don't understand what's going on with Reshat Bey, why he's even a plot point. Like, it makes no sense to me. I barely recognize the guy when he's on screen because we've had so little time with him, but he's <laughs> apparently an important side plot for this. I don't get it. Yeah, that scene where he takes her away was like really confusing to me because like, he's like, well, what I told you two nights ago, whatever, right. or like what happened two nights ago. I was like, what the hell? Like, and he <laughs> knows that she has a relationship with Mustafa Kemal, it seems, right? Or is that right. yeah? So I think he's unrequited, about unrequited love. love. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so he knows that she doesn't like him, right. um, but he's like offering to save her now that she's on the street. I like I, I don't know I, he he confuses me a ton I don't really understand the point of his character okay good, and I, thank you. <laughs> and what like he has like an army uniform but like what would that have meant in that time was it like he was like on Mustafa Kemal's side or was he on the like imperial army side I mean, yeah or? it's the yeah because it's I mean even Mustafa Kemal was still an Ottoman military officer he hasn't he had this may 19th 1919 when he makes it to samsun is when he declares that a self-determination turkish independence movement is starting so like literally up until that date like everyone is still like an ottoman citizen and still part of those armed forces so yeah Rishad his, is as well his uniform is gray and mustafa kemal's uniform is different isn't it like it's probably a rank it's probably a rank thing uh okay or like a, the part of the army that the military that they're in like okay be different yeah okay that makes sense then um yeah i just don't get that character at all and like why he would be following this woman that like to all outsiders is a like a bitch b or <laughs> sorry not nice b and like very aloof um b she's like not like a trustworthy woman or like a pure woman because she's like going out at night and like doing whatever the hell she wants and like partying alone you know like and she's like not she into him of... well yeah exactly so like I'm I'm just confused because like if he married her like everyone would probably be like oh like why would you marry I don't know I feel like she to the eyes of everyone around is like an unpure woman like not I don't know she's like everything her father yells at her I feel like I don't know if that's only something that is perceived in the household or like if the city's like oh look at her she's going out alone at night and like I don't know I I'm just confused about that part too 
I'm with you. I think I feel like we've got to start getting and also from all of Eski's hints that the time travel gets really confusing. I feel like we're <laughs> gonna get like what happened the night of the ball as like a whole flashback scene. And so we'll know like what happened between Peride and Vershate and all of that stuff. So we'll understand more, I'm hoping. Cause otherwise I really don't get why it's in the show. He's also just like another like male character. And I feel like just just to like give a simple explanation for his plot involvement, like he's another male character who has the mo as a male has the mobility in society to just like move around and show up places and you know complicate and frustrate things. So like, you know, he's and we've established that he would like to marry Estra. So he's gonna definitely or repeated that I should say and we'll just like I can promise show up at like the worst times so, and like oh my god get away from us Risha we have a plot <laughs> to advance stop showing up <laughs> oh god um also I want to say that Esra had a very reasonable plan to put everything right with the use of the new time travel tunnel method thing where she was like we're gonna go back we're gonna stop Paraday from getting killed and then we're gonna go back to our time and we won't have to worry about this shit anymore yeah but I, i'm very i'm like this just builds into my theory that she's just another Paraday because like apparently every time Paraday travels in time there's like an additional Paraday because it's the past Paraday and then the present Paraday i mean the future Paraday and then the present Paraday so <laughs> Also, if they didn't, if they hadn't traveled back, then they wouldn't have produced the body that then, like, made Peter to investigate time Correct. travel and then stop the assassination. So, yeah, I, I, I totally That's agree with point. Sophia. And I also don't remember, I think I said this before, I don't remember how this part resolves itself in the series, but I think it's all, I think Peter to equals Estra. I think there's no, like, there's no... It's not like an ancestor that looks like her. I think that's just right. literally her. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's her. Just she doesn't have the right memories. Yeah. Or she yeah. like traveled back in time and like someone erased her memory somehow. No, or it's like, I think one of us said this last time, like she in her, in the order of events in her personal, like ex in her individual existence, it hasn't happened yet, even though it's happened like, yeah. In the history of time. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, time, it makes man. sense. Also, I mean, I, I know we touched upon this, but I'm still I, I like think that what she told the little girl was like so crappy. <laughs> I just can't believe yeah. she <laughs> Yeah, it's like very traumatizing if, for to tell an actual child that, but it's very funny on TV. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Don't worry. Being completely alone in the world is just fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Never coming back for you. <laughs> oh, bad. I almost left here without saying bye to you because I forgot you existed. Bye. Yeah, really. She was about to just peace out. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to move on into the history section where Sophia is going to be taking us through 
German-Turkish relations in this period? Okay, this is going to be hard because it's a very complex issue, obviously. But we're going to talk about the Ottoman Empire's relationship with Germany, um, given that Fahrettin is called Fahrettin the German, and just like kind of put a little bit of context into like how, like why there was a relationship to begin with. Um, and as we know, well, the, Germany lost the First World War, uh, during which they were allied with the Ottoman Empire. And that, of course, like resulted in not a great perception, but Turkey and, sorry, the Ottoman Empire and Germany have had a close relationship. So basically what happened was before the First World War, um, the Ottoman Empire had very close relationships that were like both, I mean, they were very strategic relationships in the sense that there was a very clear interest on the part of the like Western powers meaning Germany, France, and England, Russia. Um, although Russia is not a Western power, but I guess those were the big four, if we could mention them, um, to have certain control over the territory just because of how strategic it was. So what the Ottoman Empire had succeeded in doing for a long time was just like playing them off each other. Um, but it got a time when they, um, I guess, the Ottoman Empire was in such decline that what the other powers just want, wanted was more than anything, the land that was part of the empire. Because if we look back on what the, the land of the Ottoman Empire, and obviously this had already been diminished by the time of the First World War, but there was, you know, all of the Levant, all of, I mean, Egypt was there. There were at some point lands like in further in Eastern Asia, I mean, Eastern of Turkey, Asia. <laughs> And, and there were several other territories. It was a, a very large expanse. Um, and even in medieval times, like touching on the border of, of Europe. But at that point, basically, um, these powers were very interested in some of these lands. There was like a huge uh, dispute over a railroad that Britain wanted to build. Um, and like, like all the powers basically wanted to balance out the influence that each had on the Ottoman Empire, just because they all wanted to profit equally from different parts of the empire in general. And there was like a clear institutional crisis within the empire where the Sultan wasn't very powerful. The army was not up to date with European armies. Um, and there was even a lot of efforts for reform and to bring the, like the army back to, I mean, to the up to par with, with Europe and with Western Europe. So, Basically, um, because of this and because several of the ter the territories that um, the Ottoman Empire had in the Balkans began to rebel, like, um, and and create and be basically like proclaim their independence. So, before the First World War, the Ottoman Empire's army had been at war for three years with different adversaries. So, like with Italy, with with the Balkans, um, just within its I think within itself also. Uh, so basically you know, the Ottoman Empire was pretty depleted. It was it was being called the sick man of Europe. And um, the world, the First World War was brewing. So what the Ottoman, like the officials of the Ottoman Empire tried to do was try to find a way to, you know, find a partner in the war just in case they had to go in someone that would back them up because if not, they would be alone against armies that were much more powerful than than their own um, just in terms of like weaponry and, and training and all these sorts of things so 
first they tried to go and, and work with Germany because the German, the, like the Kaiser and the German government was already helping the Ottoman army like with training and, and there was like an Ottoman commander that was, I mean, a, a German commander that was in charge of uh, training and fighting and like updating the Ottoman Empire's army. Um, and one, one Enver Pasha, which if I'm not wrong, was also one of the Young Turks, but you can correct me, Ezgi. Um, no, that's right. Yeah. He was like the, the military, I'm blanking on the word, but he was like the war um, minister or like the, the officer in charge of like defense and war. And he had like been close to Germany and, and had been like he had built a relationship with them previously. So that's the first door that they knocked on. But the the like the other the powers in, in themselves had like some somehow I don't know if they, it was like a tacit or a non or a spoken agreement, but they like in their head, what was best was for Turkey to be neutral. So that way, like, I mean, Turkey, not the Ottoman Empire to be neutral, because that way they could pass the troops and like have um, like not have someone have an excess of advantage in terms of geography by having that territory. Um, but at the point when the Ottoman Empire went to negotiate, they really didn't have much to offer other than like geographical things that, I mean, weren't really like that much enough to offer for them to be like a, an important partner in these, um, entente and everything. So, um, and they, they also talked to Russia and I think they also tried to talk to France and in, even I think Enver Pasha went to Paris to try to negotiate some sort of treaty. Um, but basically the only treaty that really panned out was with Germany and it was like a trigger treaty, like where if, um, Germany had to enter the war, then the Ottoman empire was like forced to enter the war, but only if Bulgaria also entered the war, <laughs> I'm not sure why, but the fact is they ended up, uh, going to war and suffering a tremendous loss. And that was. Uh, what set the stage for what Ezgi was mentioning before, how Istanbul was like divided up into different sections that were ruled by um, these different powers that had for a long time expressed an interest in um, controlling the territory. So that was just like what it was like at that point. I don't know if you want me to go into depth about any of the sections or you want to you want to add anything, but... <laughs> I think it's a good overview, Sophia. I, th I think there's definitely a lot of books, or even if you wanted to read like about it mm -hmm. on the internet, there would be like a lot of sources and also a lot of still a very controversial part of history, historiography, historiography wise, that period of very late Ottoman history into World War One. Um, so you will see a lot of different sources and different kind of viewpoints on the different military actions and stuff um I quite frankly don't have like the expertise to steer anyone toward like a particular author or like I don't know it's, it's such a mess uh, but <laughs> I think for like the basic very basic facts the non-controversial basic facts like I think you gave a really good overview um uh, for our listeners and they can they can do some googling or library checking out if they want <laughs> more information yeah i think it's a really complex topic yeah um very complex <laughs> well and and, and i didn't mention it but obviously after the first world war i'm trying to remember the name of the treaty i think it was the treaty of Sèvres. 
where like yeah basically germany was like punished or like limited very much in what they could do after the war um so they were not involved i don't think in what ended up happening in the ottoman empire and what no not at all and that that the tree of sev was also the one that led to turkey becoming a cent well i should say the ottoman empire becoming essentially a rump state so it was really just the asian part of present day turkey on the map but like not even all of it like i would say east probably to like Erzurum, if i'm not mistaken or somewhere there like so what would now be considered the start of kind of the eastern part of anatolia was the eastern border of the the like redrawn Ottoman Empire. Um, Istanbul was like completely outside of it, the Aegean coast where like Izmir is was all Greece, uh, given to Greece it, per that map, um, along with like, I think the, I, I don't even think it had a coastline. I think it was just truly like the landlocked part of, of Asia Minor. Um, and so that's what triggered that, that the outrage at that is what triggered uh, Mustafa Kemal to lead the uh, independence self determination movement. Um, you know when the events of this of this TV show are taking place in 1919 was the start of that, which led to then uh, his triumph and the essentially that part of the Sev Treaty. Maybe the whole thing I'm not sure, but definitely that part of it getting canceled and the Treaty of Lausanne then getting renegotiated. Um, which is what drew Turkey's present day borders, including Istanbul and more land to the east and coastline, et cetera. Well, and that treaty was also um, the point where they divided the other territories that are not part of today's Turkey that were were yet yeah. not independent, which... Right, like the mandate of Palestine and all of that. If yeah. you go on and, and look into it, yeah. <laughs> yeah created a whole a, bunch of problems yeah that yep. is a I, I will just call that a rat hole that like all that history it is so <laughs> it is brutal <laughs> yeah it's very brutal yeah it's where because they they basically divided all the land amongst themselves including the levant and like yes transjordan and palestine i mean there's really Israel. nothing going on these days in that part of the world it's very you're calm there's no it's all no, no headlines it's very chill everyone gets along <laughs> so <laughs> fucking colonizers is all i have to say <laughs> uh okay <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to move on into our favorite and final section, which is What the Fuck, Sultan of Success, and Fatima's Hit List. So, what the fucks? Well, we mentioned the bandages at the beginning, the way she bandaged his head, <laughs> yes. which was amazing. Her outfits in general are what the fuck for me. Oh, yeah. For me, it was her, the outfit that she did the Sezen Aksu song in. Oh, was that was insane but the the gold dress with red heels was also insane it was also and like gloves right gold gloves sorry red gloves up past her (laughs) elbows so bad (laughs) i don't think that length of dress was also very common at that point in time but this is like 
the dawn of the flapper era or like in Europe almost like the middle of it so I think it existed but wasn't the flapper like up above your ankle no they were pretty short dresses it was like mini skirts oh okay yeah oops scandal (laughs) (laughs) also that dress made her look really boxy and then the other dress that I really detested is the red one the black one with the lace and like the all of her peri-day dresses had been super cool and then the black one she wore for most of this episode was like hideous hated it I don't remember it at all must not have, it was must not have made I, oh or that yeah it was I had such a strong reaction that I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> um I also have what the fuck to Ahmet who's supposed to be like the knowledgeable person in the situation sending the body back and losing the key and all of that it's pretty shabby work but I'm confused like why were they looking for the key if they had already found out from the article that the key was in the body or like from the the diary? Because it was in the with the body three years ago. They don't know where it is now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So like they think Petty they got it and hid it somewhere. Right. Right. Because that was how she figured out the time travel stuff. But unclear if you need a key to use the very special super special time tunnel thing i don't know i don't really understand the law of keys at this point (laughs) (laughs) or ever (laughs) wasn't there a key in the protector i feel like there was i think they were probably oh yeah because there was yeah there was like that big secret room in the hagia sophia too that i feel like required a key (laughs) but then there was the the sundial in that other palace that I regret oh, yeah. not having. Oh, and then there was also that thing that the immortals, it was like a giant, I don't even know what to call it, it was like an instrument where they cranked oh, it and it like yeah. zombified everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That happened. Protect I also want to watch everybody. Oh my god, never. I, also, I wanted to just share some goss from like the Turkish celebrity world that the actress that plays Sonia, who is uh, her mom is Turkish, her dad is British of Polish heritage. Okay. So she was born in London, but she was raised in Turkey. So I'm guessing her, I'm like 99.9% sure her Turkish is perfect because she like was there from a very young age onward. But, and she also went to like a Turkish like acting school a conservatory so anyway um but she does a good like fake russian accent or whatever i guess um (laughs) she is dating the young like doctor immortal from the protector if you remember that character he's like the the curly hair i don't know if he had curly hair (laughs) i can't remember if he had curly hair in that role um maybe wavy is a better word i will i will put it in our oh yeah he had, he, yeah, he does have curly hair when the flow when the flow is there when it's longer um the but graph. anyway oh, mankind <laughs> hold on i am pasting also is is the because the other person that i thought had an accent but since i'm not a turkish speaker i can't tell was the eleni the the woman who like yes owned- yes she has like a she speaks She's speaking Turkish in a Greek accent, but she that actress is not like that's not how she talks normally. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it was it's a very over the top Greek accent in my opinion. 
Yeah, it was kind of over the top. Like, I think, like, Sonia's is, like, okay, for a Russian or Russian native speaker to get to, like, the point where Sonia is speaking Turkish, I think they would have to have, like, a real gift for languages. But it's, like, I would say it's more realistic than Eleni's, like, a little bit caricaturish Greek accent, but (laughs) whatever. Um, okay, do we have a Sultan of Success? Uh, I really want to give it to Esra for just the brilliant idea of using those 90s songs. Yes. (laughs) Fine. And for finally growing a backbone and like speaking up to her dad and holding up to Petty Diz like bitch reputation or like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't want to use that word, but mean person reputation <laughs> and you know also, she didn't do everything perfectly like you know the kid conversation and oh, well, um, getting the guy shot in the head thing but the other things were great yeah i also want to issue a special shout out to Susan Oxo and britney spears for having songs that were deemed worthy of being presented to the past <laughs> <laughs> By a time traveler, like potentially wow. changing the course of art and culture. Yes, for- <laughs> yes, or alternatively for plagiarizing a 1920s song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what about Fatma's hit list? The dad, her pity. Yes. <laughs> I think we know for sure that he sucks. (laughs) Right. Halid Bey, yeah, he shot somebody, but he could still turn it around. Whereas Naeem Bey is a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also, her treacherous sister is not my fave either. Oh, she's horrible. I I don't know her name, so. Treacherous sister. I don't think she has a name. She doesn't deserve a name. That's what Naeem Bey thinks probably about (laughs) women in general. Oh, God. Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening. Congratulations to Estra for her wonderful musical performances. Watch out to Naeem Bey for being a misogynistic prick. We hope that Fatma comes and gets you. And we will talk to you guys next time about episode four.